Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another episode of the following feature podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde, and I'm back. It's Sunday, and that means movie news, movie reviews, movie everything. Who cares? It's Sunday. Uh, now, here we go. I'm going to just jump straight into the news. Um, and it seems to be a running theme. I know I've been talking about this Snyder Cut, uh, which is the, um, basically, it's the director's cut of Justice League. Uh, Justice League, as you know, came out a few years ago, wasn't very well received, but it had all kinds of production nightmares, um, which included the director actually leaving the production close to the end um, to deal with um, a very unfortunate family tragedy. Uh, And the project got taken over by Joss Whedon, who finished off the film and it got released, but unfortunately, through many, many reshoots and a a bit of tinkering from the studio and... uh, what I guess was a lot of infer- interference from the production company, it it didn't quite turn out the way everyone expected it to be, um, including Zack Snyder. Um, and a lot of people have contested ever since that his version of the film needs to be released. We need to see what the uh, original idea was, because whatever this Frankenstein version got that we that we got in the cinemas, it, it just it didn't work. It was an absolute mess. So... The Snyder Cut is being released. There was a huge campaign that's been online for a very long time. Uh, hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And it's been effective and the film is is being re- redone now. It's the, the Snyder Cut is being finished. And we're going to finally see this on HBO Max sometime next year. In uh, what I believe is going to be four hour long episodes. So yeah. Um... But anyway, we've been talking about it quite a lot recently, and uh, the news last week was that Henry Cavill had actually signed on to play Superman in several films, including some, maybe some reshoots for the the Snyder Cut, but he's going to appear as um, Superman in in, in more films to come. Um, And after the disaster of Justice League, it seemed like a lot of the actors that were portraying the superheroes in this film were actually going to be moving to one side and letting someone else take over. No more um, a famous case of that is the uh, the situation with Batman. Now, in the Justice League, um, we did have Ben Affleck playing Batman, or Batfleck, as we lovingly called him. Now, everyone was kind of unsure about that decision at first. He didn't really seem like the the type of actor that was right to play the role. But he actually did quite a decent job. He's got... Um, uh, an affection for Batman that's that's been existent for a lot, very long time. It's something that really does mean a lot to him. And it was Zack Snyder that actually convinced him to be in the film. Uh, his vision for what uh, Batman was going to be in the Justice League um, was what convinced Ben to join the project. And when Zack's, Zack left the project um, and they did what they did with his film... Ben realised that he wasn't going to be able to work with these people and uh, he pulled out from playing Batman again, which was a shame because he had he was already lined up to be playing uh, Batman in a standalone movie, um, a project which later on turned out to be, well, late, later became Matt Reeves' The Batman uh, with Robert Patterson. So that was supposed to be all over, said and done with no more no more Batfleck. Um, but now that they're actually making Zack Snyder's Justice League, they're, they're, they're doing his director's cut and they are releasing it. Um, actors that had distanced themselves from the whole situation are now coming back in. As we reported last week, Henry Cavill is going to be playing Superman. But now reports are coming in that Ben Affleck has signed on um, 
he signed a contract to play Batman again in more than one film. Now, the initial, well, the, the initial understanding is that these guys are, are signing on mostly to, to help finish this project. But I think there's, a, there's an air of anticipation around what's happening with the Justice League uh, Snyder Cut and how it, if it is successful, it could lead on to other things. If they're able to allow um, Zack Snyder to realise his vision uh, for this DC universe, then there might be a chance that it can continue as originally was planned. Um, for those that aren't aware... Justice League, um, the whole story was supposed to be told over three films. Um, and when it came to editing that first film, the studio decided, like, let's just keep it to the one. Josh Whedon just mashed together a load of story ideas so we can just end this in one film. And the result was just a, a complete fucking mess. Just a, just a nightmare of a, a Frankenstein film. Uh, not even the good Frankenstein. It's like one of Frankenstein's early experiments that was like, yeah, kill that motherfucker. That's doesn't need to live nature doesn't want that existing that's how we kind of felt when we saw justice league we were like I, I don't know what the fuck it was you were trying to achieve here but you didn't achieve that and you've left us all very very disappointed um so yeah with zach back on board it seems like a lot of the actors now are, are saying all right if he's back on board i'm back on board um and quite a telling thing was uh um is it ray fisher who plays uh cyborg uh, who was initially um positive about Joss Whedon's input and uh, the the work that he was doing, has come out and wanted to publicly retract that statement. And uh, there's more stories coming out now that Joss Whedon was actually not great to work with. And um, the way he treated uh, the, the crew and the cast was quite deplorable in some ways. I mean, not really getting full details of exactly what happened. And I don't think we'll ever really fully get those details. Um, but that was quite an eye-opener because obviously Joss Whedon is is um, loved by many film fans uh, for the work that he's done in the past. He's most famous for doing the likes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, um, of course, the the first two Avengers films. Um, and that kind of light-hearted, jovial, you know, tone that he brings to his films um, didn't really fit with uh, the Justice League that we were getting Um it's it's just it was too much of a conflict of different visions, um, and I you know I can't say that um, I've heard anything that's going to make me go against Joss Whedon. I still really love his work. Um, uh, Cabin in the Woods was on TV the other night, and I just it's hard to look away. That's such a a fantastic film. That was Joss Whedon, wasn't it? I'm not getting that mixed up, am I? No, no, that was that was Joss Whedon, wasn't it? You know, I I sometimes get Joss Whedon and and James Gunn's like non Marvel movies mixed up. But yeah, I'm quite sure that's Joss Whedon. Um, and, and the thing is, like, I've worked with both of those, these directors, actually. Um, I've worked with Joss on his uh, new HBO series, The Nevers. Um, but I can't really say that I worked closely with him. Um, there was a lot going on in that show, and there's it's a really huge production, as you'll see. Um, I'm sure we're going to get a trailer for that soon. Must be. Um, but yeah, it's it's a huge, huge show, and there was, there was a lot of you know, moving parts, so I'm I'm not surprised that he wasn't as hands-on as he maybe could have been. Um, so I can't really say that I know anything about Joss Whedon or whether anything that these actors have said about him holds true. Um, 
their experience with him might have been a personal one. It might have been um, circumstantial. We don't know. Um, but as I've mentioned before, I did actually work on Justice League with Zack Snyder. And whilst it was just a day, I can say that he was so hands-on and so personable. Um, it was kind of bizarre, considering the, the role that I played was... I mean, I'm, I was just an extra. But it was a small scene, quite an intimate scene, and for that reason, he felt it necessary to make sure that the 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 whole idea of the scene was conveyed um, as clearly as possible to everyone on set. Which led to this weird situation of being in a huddle with Zack Snyder and uh, another extra called Paul um, and Ben Affleck and Jeremy Irons and the five of us grouped around going, right, okay, guys, this is what's going to happen. It was a very surreal situation for me, but when Zach came over and introduced himself and asked me my name and kind of, you know, he was, he took me seriously and he showed me a lot of respect and that kind of took me by surprise, but he had this positive and upbeat attitude, which was palpable and it really made for um, a, a good working situation. I mean, I'd been there for, I think I was on set for seven hours and I ended up filming for the last 25 minutes of the day. Um... And, you know, that's enough to really kind of get anyone's back up and, and you know, be an irritant that kind of affects the way you work. But there was just this general attitude and demeanor on set, which I can only say was really kind of coming from him. I mean, that, that attitude gets knocked down the, the chain. As, as If you work on a film production, you'll know. Well, I mean, you work in many things. It's the attitude of the manager will affect the person beneath them, which, um, which affects their attitudes to the people beneath them, which affects the attitude. You know, you've got to set a precedent. If you're going to be the guy, the, the person that's like the head honcho, you've got to really set the tone for how you want your cast and crew to act. I'm sure that goes for like most working environments. But in this one, I think, I think Zack Snyder did a great job and it was really interesting to kind of see how he does his thing. But anyway... Ben Affleck is returning, and he has signed... Well, he's apparently going to sign a contract. Might have already signed a contract. We don't have confirmation yet. But here's the thing. Um, DC have their own 24-hour uh, virtual fan experience event online coming up called DC Fandom. Um, and it's basically their way of doing like several announcements that probably would have dropped at Comic-Con, but because that was cancelled, they've found a new way to kind of get them, their, their, their news out. Now, um, what we're expecting is to hear a lot more about well, we're expecting to hear like a see a big trailer for um, the likes of uh, the one I'm talking about every five minutes, Snyder's Justice League. But we also have um, probably news on Wonder Woman 1984 coming up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't get a trailer for um, uh, Suicide Squad 2. Um, you know, that's apparently wrapped production already, so we'll see what's going on with that. Um, yeah, that's where I expect them to kind of really drop the news that Ben Affleck's returning. Um, and who knows? Maybe they'll talk about the possibility of there being um, more movies in this kind of area. Because at the moment, the way it looks is we've got three different Batman... Bat, Batmans. Is that it? Batmen or Batmans? Because it's not like... Batmans. I think it's Batmans. Just grammatically sounds weird as hell. So... We've got uh, Robert Patterson's The Batman. That's finishing production um, pretty soon once, 
you know, things get up and running here in, in the UK again, which I'll get onto in a second. Um, we also have the news that broke last week that Michael Keaton is returning to play uh, Batman in some kind of um, mentor figure type role, which could actually be um, continuing to several other films. I'm not really sure how they're going to go about that yet, but hey, yeah, DC fandom will probably find out more. Um, but now Ben's returning as the Batfleck. <sighs> Who knows? I mean, what we're basically uh, anticipating here is that DC, instead of trying to stick to one shared universe like Marvel have had such success doing, I think what they really want to aim at is uh, creating a multiverse type situation in which different ideas and different stories can be told without them really having to um, tie in with other storylines in other directions. So yeah, more on that when it comes out. Um, hopefully we'll hear about that quite soon. Uh, the uh, the experience, the the whole um, DC fandom thing, I believe it's happening in um, a couple of weeks' time. So any news that breaks on that, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know as soon as possible. Who knows, maybe I'll do a special midweek episode of the... If it's if it's you know that telling, I mean, I, I the the worst thing I I find doing this podcast is that you know this is released on Sunday afternoon, and then sure enough, first thing Monday morning, all of the movie news breaks that I just wish I could be talking about. I've got to wait a week until I can tell you. So I don't know. Maybe I will do a midweek one if there is like a, a DC fandom special that I need to do to kind of like break down all the news that's that's coming out of there. Um, but yeah. Bat Batmans and plenty of them. Now, one thing that has been um, talked about this week uh, is in in the UK we're we're currently like easing our lockdown and trying to get back to work as normal, um, and it's it's a bit of a situation where we are kind of trying to get a bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, the government really wants to open up the economy because it's costing a lot to put people on furlough and stuff like that and all the benefits. Um, but they really want to get everything up and running again. And one thing the UK is a really real hotspot for at the moment is some of the biggest films in the world are made here in the UK. Um, and one of them especially is the Mission Impossible films. And I know that Tom Cruise wants to get over here and do whatever he can to get production rolling again. As I've mentioned before, there was the rumour of him actually uh, taking over an abandoned RAF base in Oxfordshire and having like a special kind of closed-off community that is COVID-free so that he can continue production. Um, that's a very interesting idea, but um, basically what the uh, government's now saying is to, to ensure that, you know, they can get into this country as quickly as possible and get production running as quickly as possible. Certain Hollywood stars are going to be exempt from taking any kind of quarantine when they arrive in the UK. Now, at the moment, the situation is that if you arrive from any kind of countries that are like hot COVID zones, and let's face it, America is the hottest in the in the world right now for for um, uh, coronavirus and, and the infection rates. Um, so people coming in from those countries are required at the moment to spend 14 days in isolation it's an advisory thing, so it's not really kind of enforced, but I think there could be fines if you are caught in breach of that quarantine. So it looks like they're making exceptions um, for Hollywood stars to come over here and, you know, finish off filming, which, you know, from someone in the industry, it's, it's great news. But at the same time, I'm still very, very cautious of the fact that we're not in the clear yet. There is no vaccine. There is no cure. Um 
And whilst the curve has been flattened, so to speak, a second spike seems almost inevitable. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to getting back to work. As I probably mentioned last week, I was actually in the running for a role uh, for a, a period drama. Um, but unfortunately, I, did, I, was, I wasn't successful. So I'm not returning to work anytime soon, but I kind of expect at least some of the agents to kind of be calling me soon and just kind of speaking to me about certain roles. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to just take it as uh, as it comes and see what's, what's going on, see what the situation is. Um, but yeah. In other news, um, Dan Stevens, who I think you, we've most recently seen in um, the quite, quite terrible uh, Eurovision movie on Netflix... If you haven't seen this yet, I was going to review it, but then I couldn't really be asked because it was just it was just pretty crap, really, from my my perspective. Now, from what I've heard, if you're a Eurovision fan, you will love the movie because it em- embodies everything that is is good and enjoyable about the whole contest. If you're not a Eurovision fan, then there's not really a lot for you here. Um, I watched it thinking like, hey. How bad can it be? As long as Will Ferrell's funny, it's worth watching. Um, and I do like Will Ferrell, but I think he was the biggest problem of this film. He was... I don't know. He was just too much for that role. Um, and it just it just kind of became a bit crass after a while, but that's kind of the vibe of uh Eurovision that it's it's got that kind of kitschy kind of tacky kind of I don't know in your face kind of loudness I, I don't know it's it's never been something that I've really enjoyed um but you know it has an audience and that audience loves it for the way it is and so yeah I guess if this film was made for that audience then it's it's really hit the mark it's it's you know I couldn't stand it. But Dan Stevens is hugely entertaining as this kind of closeted um, Russian singer. He's, you know, a very animated character with um, quite obvious tendencies. And he's just, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He's, he's one of those very versatile actors that can really kind of turn his hand to serious drama, action or comedy. Um, and, uh, you know, he is the standout performance in this film, but um, it's not a great film, so that's not really a huge compliment. Um, But Dan Stevens himself has been uh, talking recently about a film that he had out in 2014, which you may or may not have seen, called The Guest. Now, in this film, uh, Dan plays a soldier who introduces himself to a family of another soldier who died in action. He's, like, basically um, fought alongside him, allegedly. Um, But he gets himself into their house, and he he gets, like, welcomed in as a friend of the family, um, but he soon brings a, a violence to their lives that would they would never have wished for. Um, and things go quite, quite spectacularly, sinisterly wrong uh, for the, the family, especially the kids. Um, and it's a really great film. It didn't do well at the box office. It was quite a flop, really. Um, didn't really make its money back. However, it did gain a cult classic when it was released on home video. Um, home video, that sounds so antiquated um when it was released on dvd actually even that sounds a bit kind of antiquated uh when the 4k uhd blu-ray release was released on its release 
basically it found an audience it became a bit of a cult classic um and it is a really good film i really enjoy it it's it's got a, a certain amount of action and tension that you need and he plays this character that has this kind of i don't know an evil which is just brimming just beneath the surface and it's he's, he's just absolutely perfect to this character well if you know the film i'm talking about you'd be very pleased to hear that in a recent interview dan stevens said that um, there is talk of a sequel. And in fact, um, as soon as Adam Wingard, the director of uh, the first film, uh, has finished working on Godzilla vs. Kong, apparently the two are going to sit down and hash out a script for the sequel. Now, for a film that took at the box office less than half of what I think it cost to make, you, you pretty much guarantee that it's never going to get a sequel. But as I say, since it's been released, it's um, since it's been released outside of cinemas, it's, it's really gained a, um, a cult following. It's got a really good audience, and as I say, it's just been put out on Netflix again, and people are tuning in. It's it's a very popular film, and and for that reason, there is interest in a sequel. So hopefully, that will arise. That will that will come next year. Um, as I say, we have to wait for Godzilla versus Kong to come out before they even start looking at a script, but it's a possibility. And definitely one to uh, keep an eye on. Um, but speaking of um, UK films, I mean, honestly, as far as news goes uh, about what's coming into production, there's not really much going on this week. Um, there's a lot of anticipation at the moment for the just the opening up of different productions that can go ahead. Um, and there's plenty of productions, including... Um, the third Spider-Man film, uh, the new Batman film, the Mission Impossible film, uh, the Fantastic Beasts film. Um, there are so many, you know, that are, are still waiting. Um, that probably would have wrapped by now if it wasn't for the whole pandemic. Um, but yeah, there's there's just, as far as castings or anything like that, there's not really a lot to say this week. Um, but as far as us getting back to the cinema is concerned, um, UK cinema chains are opening at the end of July, depending on how the easing of this lockdown goes. And one of the um, big films, uh, well, as the cinema's open, one of the big questions is, what are they going to show? Because there aren't really a lot of films coming out. Well, the answer is a lot of old classics. Uh, at least that's partly the answer. Um, and having celebrated 40 years since its release in May, the 4K remastered version of the acclaimed Star Wars sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, was expected to be distributed to cinemas across the UK, but that has now been scrapped, and a 2K version will be released instead. Apparently talks broke down as View and Cineworld announced their plans to reopen, but the re-release of Christopher Nolan's films Inception and the Dark Knight trilogy will be released shortly before his new epic blockbuster Tenet is released. See, I said it right this week, Tenet. Tenet! Um, yeah, basically... Disney are looking to uh, stick a load of films in the cinemas that um, uh, you can currently only watch on Disney+. And that included a 4K Ultra HD version of The Empire Strikes Back, which you can get on Blu-ray or you can watch on Disney+. But this version of the film, the remastered version, has never been shown in the cinema. And as I say, because it was the 40th anniversary, it seemed fitting and it seemed like it was going to happen. The film is still being re-released at the cinema uh, for a limited period, but unfortunately we are only getting uh, the 2K version, which is still going to be good, but 
you know, as I said uh, last week, I went to see the 4K restoration of The Lost Boys at the cinema recently. And it was glorious. It was beautiful. It really held up. It was, um, it's a great film anyway, but it really looked fantastic in that new remastered quality. And up on the cinema screen, something that I wasn't able to experience as a child. And listen, guys, I'm 40 years old. I was a baby when this came out of the cinema. The first time I saw it was when I rented it on VHS from Patron Video in Brickhill in Bedford. That's where I grew up. Um, and I remember renting it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's something that I've never seen at the cinema. And being such a huge Star Wars, Wars fan, that, that, that really is something that I'd, I'd love to uh, experience. Um, but whether or not it would convince me that it's safe to go to the cinema, I haven't really figured this one out yet. Because one of my problems is, they're saying that they'd be going to be able to keep a certain distance from people. Like if you book a seat, then the next two or three seats aren't available. If you go with your family and the four of you book a seat, you can sit together. But then again, the next two or three seats aren't available. And that seems like a good idea. That seems fine. Even if like every other row is blocked as well. Seems like a good idea. But the one question I have, say you're stuck right in the middle of the row and about halfway through the film, you know, your your soft drink, your soda, whatever it is, it's starting to work its way through. You regret getting the large, and suddenly your bladder's starting to fight you. Um, now you've got to get up, and usually you just shuffle down, you know, wiggle your bum in people's faces, and hope that the darkness can conceals your posterior just long enough for them to not be put off by it. Now, in this situation. In this socially distancing situation, what do we do? Because we can't really keep a distance from each other if we're shuffling past each other at that kind of, that closeness. Does everyone have to get up from that row and stand to the side as a person leaves? And then what? Do they return to their seats and then exit again when the person returns? It just seems like a bit of a weird situation. And even if we are wearing face coverings, it's not the most ventilated room. And, you know, those kind of, um, that air and that, that bacteria is going to circulate after a while. So I understand that you can mitigate some of the circumstances to ensure that it's not as dangerous. But I just don't know. It just seems a little bit sketchy. And I just, I, I'm not entirely convinced that it's worth the risk. Um, as much as I want to get back to the cinema, I just don't know. Um, but we'll see. I say, we are getting Empire Strikes Back and, oh, that's tempting. Um, but it's only going to be a 2K release and, um, you know, I might enjoy it better if I just stick on the Blu-ray. I've got a, a nice big TV, Ultra HD, 4K TV, surround sound cinema system. It might be more fun just to watch it at home. We'll see how tempted I get when the cinemas actually open at the end of the month. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's that's really it for movie news at the moment. Um, so we're going to jump straight into movie reviews. Now, this week, um, one thing I've kind of failed to acknowledge over the last couple of weeks is that it was Pride Month. Um, and, you know, we celebrated Black Lives Matter. I say celebrated. Uh, we brought that... We, we, we basically concentrated on films that really look at 
the struggles and the situation of systematic racism um, in the world and how filmmakers have used that medium uh, to tell the stories that need to be told in order to educate future generations as to how to create a better civilization which everyone is equal um, and everyone can get along in you know in a in a better world and it's you know it's it's been one of those situations where like this is I've seen this movement time and time again through um, my lifetime and and it's happened generations and generations beforehand but um, it just seems like it's the same circle of you know promises going round and round that are never actually fully held up um, and we're still seeing that in this country with um, our prime minister who at one moment is telling us that we should clap for bankers because don't they do a great job um, but at the same time, when it comes to taking a knee uh, for Black Lives Matter, he says he doesn't believe in gestures. So, you know, this is the situation that we're in at the moment. Um, and I think it is important. Uh, you know, I don't mean to politicise this podcast, but as I say, like, this, I've, I've learned a lot through movies. I've, I've seen the world through movies. Um, and I don't mean blockbusters. I mean world cinema has really shown me what life is like when other people get to tell their stories of their their upbringings, their backgrounds, their culture. You know, it's it's very informative and it's very educational and that's why I think movies are are huge when it comes to these movements um because it it manages to um reach an audience that you know politicians can't always reach. You know, sometimes you do find that role models um in the arts and media are the ones that are really connecting with um, the public when it comes to important decisions. Um, and through that, you know, for that reason, I find it's important to um, really shine a light on films that not just support a movement and not just, um, you know, jump on the bandwagon, but um, important films from people who have a message that they want to tell that could help people to understand the world they live in a bit better, you know, understand exactly where um, these conflicts and, and um, cultural upsets come from. Um, and the first one I want to talk about this week, because we are talking about pride. Um, so I wanted to look at films that really kind of talk about what it is um, to be, uh, LGBTQ plus in not just in modern day but throughout history and how it affects different cultures how it how it's affected um diff us from a, a society uh from that kind of structure um the fuck am I talking about now I wanted to show films that basically um have a message that is important but also in a film that is good. Because one thing I can't stand is something that's just... It's all about the subject. And it doesn't manage to tell a story. Um, and, you know, it's it's not easy to connect with an audience. You really need to kind of help them identify with the characters on screen. And not everyone's really good at actually doing that. Moonlight tells the tale of Chiron. At three stages of his life as he struggles with a drug addict mother as well as being both black and gay in a poor neighborhood 
Society is a hard and frustrating place as he looks for a way to deal with everything that's going on and he's forced into a fight or flight type decision time and time again. Be it in his family, his friends or even a reluctant mentor, no one seems to be true to who they say they are and yet they expect him to be himself at any cost. But the cost is always higher than he can afford. Mentally, emotionally and physically he's broken down over and over. He wants to stand tall but he's constantly beaten down and told to stay down, which is literal in his violent experiences, but true on a deeper level too. As a child, he sees the problems that destroyed his family as something to stay clear of, and reason not to trust certain people who portray themselves as morally sound, but he soon comes to realise how the world he grows up in is not as black and white as he thought. The more he experiences hardship, the more he hardens to it. The more life pushes him, the more he pushes back. As he grows into a man, he finds he becomes who he is, not through a series of bad choices, but through a lack of choice. The world he knows is not the one he wanted, but the one he's learned to survive in. And the cost of his survival means he's not the man he could have been. Something that's made clear through the eyes of his childhood friend. Someone who's forced with a similar upbringing, but didn't end up with the same life. Now, this... As I say, this film is, is split up into three different parts, and I believe when it was originally told as a play, these parts ran concurrently, and it wasn't exactly clear that it was the same life until about halfway through. In this one, the director decided to um, make it very clear that this is one man's life, and to show how he's changed due to his circumstances, due to what's happened to him. And it's a very powerful film because you see someone that's like, they're a good and pure soul at the beginning. But the more life just beats them down, not because they're bad, but because they're different. The more it shapes them, the more it kind of toughens them up to the point where they're, they create this shell that's almost impenetrable. Everything that this this guy is broken down for, he reinforces. But he reinforces with a shield that hides his real identity rather than finding a way to really make it his strength. Um, and his strength, his strength inevitably derives from um, what he's learnt from those that have beaten him down. Um, he learns to become that which he hated. Um, and he does it mainly through survival. So it's it's a very tough situation. Um, and it's it's partly autobiographical. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a really well told story. Um and, and beautifully acted from all parts as well. Um but it's a really interesting way of like sort of Looking at someone who, um, I mean, it's not a society that I can, it's not really something that I can empathise with. Um, because whilst I have had to struggle with um, expectancies of masculinity, uh, which I found difficult growing up, you know, a lot of times society expects a man to be a man and to do manly things in a manly way. Um, and then as you get older, you start to see how this... Um, you know, you see it being portrayed as as toxic masculinity and it's portrayed as something that's completely... Everything that's wrong with your personality and, and the cause to all the conflict in your life. 
and so it's it's you know there is that conflict um with how masculinity is portrayed and it's very well portrayed in this film because um in a marginalized society these kind of um dynamics can be exaggerated and with um growing up as a young gay man can be hard enough in a society that looks at the patriarchy as as its you know foundation um they want men to be men um so anyone growing up in any society that is gay has to deal with that kind of um conflict but in marginalized society where you know things are are different circumstances are different and expectant expectancies are different as well it's more of an issue um i heard a comedian once who actually got into a lot of trouble for this but i don't i don't really see the problem with it uh, a comedian who said that basically um you know being gay isn't a choice because if it was there wouldn't be any gay black men because who'd want to double down on that kind of hatred and it's an interesting point of view because it's it, it's enough to live with the kind of scrutiny and oppression that being black in modern society has but being gay in modern society has its own you know list of of problems and and um you know hurdles to overcome so why anyone would choose to have that kind of you know struggle in life just seems bizarre um and yeah so it's it's a very interesting film to kind of look at the um the portrayals of like so what it's like growing up as not just um a gay man but as a poor black man at the same time um yeah it's a very very interesting film and it was very worthy of the oscars that it won um uh mahershala ali won the the oscar for best supporting actor um, and I was really expecting him to be in the film for much longer than he was. Uh, the impact that he, he has is significant, and he does do a really good job at the beginning of the film, but he really is only the third film of the film, so I was I was quite surprised that um, he got the Oscar. Um, but then, you know, he does a great job. Um, and he, you know, that was back-to-back Oscars. I think the, next, the following year he won Best Supporting Actor for uh, Green Book. That might be the year after. Um, but he, you know... He's an actor that's you've got to understand as well for like uh, black actors to actually get the kind of work in Hollywood that they need to kind of further their career isn't as easy as a, a white actor trying to do the exact same thing. So for them, there's, there's more of a kind of um, uh, pressure to pick the right roles. Um, and I think um, uh, Mahershala Ali's done a fantastic job in this film and very deserving of the oscar not only did he um win the oscar for playing uh, an openly well no he wasn't playing a, a gay black character but um but he was the first uh muslim man to win an oscar which i found quite surprising um so he's he's definitely like a very significant character and i'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with blade uh, but he's been great in a, a whole bunch of films and uh, a few tv shows as well so um, you know, more power to him. Um, but one actor that I think really kind of stood out in this film um, was uh, Trevante Rhodes, who plays Chiron at, um, as an adult. 
And uh, Trevante, he's got um, a history of uh, athletics and he's a very well-built guy. But he has such a range of uh, emotional acting. Um, I was talking last week about say, Ian Holm and one of the things that he always said was that um, you can do most of your acting just through your eyes. Um, and if you can convey that much emotion and kind of that much you know, heart just through your eyes, uh, then you'll connect with the audience. Um, and I think, you know, for that, for the one third of the film that Trevante's in it, I think he was captivating. He was absolutely captivating. Uh, he, he showed this kind of emotional fragility, which was really being held back by this, um, facade of masculinity. And I was really, really impressed with him. I was quite surprised that I hadn't actually heard more about him before watching this film. Or since, actually. And one thing that I couldn't help but think, with his stature um, and his build, I was talking, I think, last week about the fact that Jamie Foxx is playing Tyson in his biopic. Trevante Rhodes, I think, really needs to be considered for that role. He's only 30 years old at the moment. And considering, you know, Jamie Foxx is 52 and Tyson's currently 53, I think a young actor would do a better job playing this role. And I think what Trevante's shown in this role is that he has he has the ability, he has the legs for it, he has, um, he has the look, he has the physique, um, but he is a great actor, first and foremost. So if you really want that role to be done with justice, I think... I think someone like him needs to be considered. But we'll see. The next film we're reviewing is Milk. Now, Milk is the true story of gay rights activist Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay person to be elected to office in California. The film depicts his rise from activist to politician and how he managed to affect and challenge political discourse in relation to gay rights and the government's responsibility to everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation. Over the course of the film, we see how Harvey had to adapt to the world of politics and how it sought to force him to conform to those desires of those who want the tradition of the family unit to remain as a norm and not threaten the ideals of Christian American values. His work to show the people of California and then the world that homosexuality is not a deviancy that can be groomed into children to convert them, but a natural and perfectly acceptable classification of sexuality that is no less morally destructive to any kind of society than heterosexuality is. His quest is fueled by tolerance and compassion, which his opposition find hard to accept as genuine given their preconceptions and assumptions. And it's this which fuels him. He doesn't need to disrespect them to prove them wrong. He just needs to show their prejudice in a light that makes everyone see the reality instead of the fiction. He changed the narrative for the people of his community, and his tragic and needless death was a catalyst for change nationwide. Now, Sean Penn stars as Harvey Milk in this film, and um, it's directed by Gus Van Sant, who um, Van Sant, I find, is at his best when he's more abstract in his filmmaking. Um, in this film, it was a good film, and it, you know, it did do a really good job of portraying Harvey Milk and showing exactly the significance that he had in the world and why he needs to be remembered as a, a, you know, a very important political figure. 
But what I found here is that, much like a lot of biopics these days, it was told as like a greatest hits of what he achieved. Rather than really getting to know the character and, and really kind of getting into the narrative of what his life was like and how he was emotionally, these are, are things which are just kind of covered as like sort of bullet points whilst going through... I mean, it's about eight years of his life told in about 90 minutes. And all we really get is like sn snippets of who he was uh, in relation to the people around him. We understand the significance that he had uh, politically um, and, you know, how hard it was for him to kind of come against these these types of um, problems in the time that he was doing it. But for me personally, I kind of felt like the film was, if anything, a bit too short. Like it skipped to the end. It just kind of like hurried through a few things and I, I didn't really feel like we really got to understand certain characters. Um, and there were a lot of characters in this. Um, I mean, this this has everyone in it. Like Emil Hirsch, um, Diego Luna's massively, massively underused in this film. Um, we also have um, James Franco, um, whose character is... Is, is definitely significant, Scott, um, but he's, I don't know, I don't think he's explored in a way that really kind of, you know, I just, I just don't know. There just seemed to be, I had to, more questions about the people in this film um, than I did answers at the end of it. And I didn't really know anything about anyone to begin with, so that's, that was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I just, I just felt like it skipped through a lot of stuff. And it wanted to like have a bullet point in each different part of the film and then moved on as quickly as possible. And um, for that reason, I don't think certain emotional um, hits really land as much as they should have done. Um, especially Diego Luna's character, which I just I just didn't get. Um, I think the way that his character is portrayed is, is kind of... It doesn't shine him in a very good light. And I, I'm not really sure if that's really how the character was, whether he was the, the kind of desperate, needy and kind of liability um, that that he was portrayed in the film. And with an actor like Diego Luna, you know, he's a very talented actor and he can give a lot. Um, I just, I, I don't feel this film had the impact that I was expecting. It had such a huge, you know, had such, such great write-ups and uh, it won loads of awards. Sean Penn won an Oscar for Best Actor in what I don't think was his best performance, honestly. It's a decent film and it's an important film in regards to like sort of, I didn't know who Harvey Milk was. Um, and now I feel like sort of I was massively ill-informed about like sort of, I mean, you don't really hear a lot about these, these kind of characters, especially when it comes to um, American politics. Uh, it, as I said earlier, it sometimes takes um, a film to tell the story that isn't honestly being portrayed um, in the history classes and in schools. Um, we're not learning about these kind of figures as much as we're learning about people that may have had more of a kind of, you know, a past worth scrutinising. I think we need to raise up more people like Harvey Milk and, um, you know, really kind of Make sure that the next generations, when they walk past the statue and they ask a question, who was that? Make it someone that you're proud to tell your kids about. Um, not someone that you have to, like, nitpick bits of their past and, and say, like, kind of, 
you know, generally what what they achieved was good, whether whether they're a good person or not. Harvey Milk was a good person. Um, he achieved great things through being a good person, and I think he's a great role model for you know generations to come. What he was able to achieve through being a compassionate man with a lot of empathy changed the world. I think that's important. Our final film this week is called God's Own Country, and it's the debut film from Francis Lee. This is a romantic story of a young man seemingly trapped in a life not of his choosing. Josh O'Connor plays Johnny, who lives on a farm with his father and his grandmother. With his dad unable to help after a stroke at his grandmother's age, Johnny is tasked with doing almost all the heavy work on the farm, and he finds little to no joy in it. The little time that he has to himself is spent getting blind drunk uh, and having meaningless sex with random men. The toxicity of this cycle bleeds into his family life and ensures his constant misery continues. This all changes when Georgie, a Romanian migrant, comes to work on the farm, much to Johnny's annoyance. As is his way, Johnny immediately treats this new worker with contempt and insults him at every chance he gets. But when it becomes apparent that Georgie is not only competent, but fully confident in himself, Johnny is forced to look up to him, to admire him, and to respect him. It's an inner conflict that's alien to him, and it brings about an epiphany of sorts that he's forced to indulge in some unexpected introversion. But what Georgie teaches him about himself and how it's okay to be vulnerable is just the start. As their relationship becomes more physical, he must learn what the difference is between sex and intimacy. He must learn how to love, and not just in the romantic sense, but in all of his relationships. Something that his family see is missing from his life, and, when it looks like he might lose it, something they insist he never gives up on. Some things, he finds, are worth fighting for, and his happiness is one of them. Now, this is a film that I didn't really know much about, and it wasn't a film that I was originally looking to review this week. Um, my original choice was Blue is the Warmest Colour, but as you may have seen from my posts on social media, what I've learned about the production of that film in doing my research has led me to believe that it's maybe not one that I'm happy to endorse. Um, there was a lot of controversy about the way that the actresses were treated and uh, how they were felt to made to feel like prostitutes due to the amount of explicit and graphic sex scenes that they had to participate in. Stuff that wasn't really in the original source material, uh, but something that the director insisted upon. And from what I can tell, um, the way not just the actresses, but pretty much everyone was treated um, has led them to really want to distance them, themselves from this film. And whilst on initial viewing, I really, really enjoyed the film and found it a really um, engrossing depiction, depiction of love and passion and, and the kind of conflict that comes from that. I can't in all good consciousness really endorse a film that um, may have uh, involved the abuse of um, young women in a sexual nature. It just it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, and I know that the um, uh, Lea Sedo has come out and spoken about it and how you know she felt about the whole thing. You know, it it just it just it it concerned me enough that I thought that I just I just can't really endorse the film. So I went looking for something else to watch. Um and I was specifically looking at LGBTQ plus films, um, and one that was um, m had massive acclaim and amazing reviews, almost 
across the board, 100% positive reviews. And and trust me, after what I learned about the previous film, I did some digging, and there was conflict in the making of God's Own Country, but it wasn't in the same way. As it was an independent film, the people who were putting up the money for uh, Lee France or Francis Lee to make this, um, they wanted to have some kind of influence over what he was doing. They felt that certain aspects of the film needed to be changed in order to make sure that it was, you know, um, a more enjoyable experience for the audience. Francis Lee, apparently, um, at every turn, at every note, and every bit of advice they gave him, turned around and said, why don't you go fuck yourself? And the result is a fantastic work of art. And I know I've emphasised this enough on the podcast already, but when it comes to an artist creating their art, leave them the fuck alone. That's how it works. You can't create art through committee. That doesn't work. And we're seeing more and more instances of that where, you know, studios try to get involved in trying to make an, an artist's art better. And dear God, it never, ever works. Sometimes, yes, they do turn around and say, why don't you try going in this direction? And it could be a case that the, the director in, 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 in question just wasn't confident enough that they'd be able to do that. And the studio's interference is basically like, we're taking these handcuffs off and allowing you to do what you want. That is positive influence from the studio. It's when they come in and say, like, we just need you to step aside whilst we perfect your art for you. That's one of the most insulting things you can do to an artist. And it seems that that's what they tried to do with Francis Lee, but for the most part, they agreed with him and they let him just finish his own art and just do his own thing. And what we got is God's Own Country, which I'm telling you right now is one of the most compelling and superbly told stories of just love and romance in unusual circumstances, in a way that isn't normally portrayed. Um, you know, this, is, this isn't this is a story that I've ever heard before, and that was kind of the emphasis that Francis Lee was trying to put across, that this is a story that he's needed to tell for a very long time, and uh, one that he needed to tell in his way. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. It's a fantastic film that I thoroughly enjoyed, and something that I connected with emotionally more than I really expected to. Um, and it's not necessarily just the, ro the romance. One thing that really hit me was the relationship between the son and his father. Um, and yeah, it just, it was, it was so, at times it was, it was subtle and understated to the point where it really packed a punch. And I had, I, you know, that, that probably sounds like a contradiction in terms, but trust me. This is a very simple movie. There is not a lot said, and not a lot needs to be said, because the story is told through the expression of emotions between these two characters. And both of them give fantastic, fantastic performances. This is one of the best films I've watched in a long time, and one that did bring a tear to my eye uh, towards the end, uh, more than once. So I would thoroughly recommend it. Um, I know it's available on Amazon Prime to rent, um, but if you get a chance, check it out. It's a thoroughly good movie. 
Now, that's it for this week. Um, I don't really know what I'm going to do for next week. Um, I say it's 4th of July uh, yesterday. So happy 4th of July to all my American friends. I was thinking of doing a 4th of July special. But I don't really know what to do. Um, I say there is the temptation to watch Independence Day again. Um, and Bill Pullman made a fantastic uh, speech online yesterday where he talked about celebrating Independence Day and how it's still his favourite holiday. If you don't remember, Bill Pullman actually played the president in Independence Day. Um, and I think we've had recently, we've seen better presidents on film than we have in, in the White House recently. He's just, the, the charlatan that's in there at the moment, um, he, uh, well, we don't need to go into that fucking hell, Jesus Christ. Who 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 hasn't got an opinion on that right now? Um, Bill Pullman came out and said that he's wearing his freedom masks um, in, you know, to promote the fact that you've got to wear face coverings in America right now because of the huge spike in, in COVID cases. Um, and yeah, the way he addressed the nation, I know he's an actor, okay? But the way he addressed the nation and his, you know, honesty and his composure, it just, it makes you... It makes you nostalgic for the days when the president could be presidential. Um, I don't know. It's a weird world that we live in at the moment. And I would like to do a special on films that celebrate what's great about America. Um, but obviously I don't want to just try to do um, a fluff piece where I talk about how great America is. Um, I know a lot of the films that I've covered recently have shown America in a very honest light in regards to how it deals with race and how it deals with um, sexuality. Um, but what else is there? I really need your help on this. What what do you think shows the real America? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one that I really want some feedback on. I'll have a think about it over the next week. Um, but yeah, until then, I hope you have a lovely week. I hope you're all staying safe. And again, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do share it with your friends. Do give it a like, a subscribe, give it a review if you can. I know sometimes on, on Apple and on, Go on Google and uh, Spotify, you can actually leave reviews. If you do that, it helps me out immensely. Um, but just sharing this on social media, that will do a lot. If you can reach two of your friends, imagine if they can reach two of their friends. And so on and so forth. What I've seen in the last week, I gave that call to action last week on the podcast that people should share this if they, if they like it. You did that, and my downloads over the last week pretty much doubled. So I'm hugely, hugely thankful. I appreciate the fact that we're getting new listeners in from um, all different parts of America. Um, you know, New York, Virginia, um, California. Um, we're also getting a few more international listeners um, I've seen people from Sri Lanka and from India tuning in. So that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I, I really do enjoy this and I want it to continue. So uh, if you enjoy it and you want it to continue, do me a favour and give it a share. But until next week, peace, love, empathy, take care. I love you. I appreciate the fuck out of you. And I hope you stay safe until next week. All right, that's me. Goodbye. Take care.